Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean, not just rinse, your nose. Clear Nasal Spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hey there, mindful listeners. Thank you so much once again for spending part of your day with us here at Mindful Medicine. I've got an incredible guest today, and we're going to be talking about simple habits to transform your life. So habits, what do they say about habits? It's, it's like everything. And we have so many habits that people kind of complain about. They're sort of bad. They don't contribute to our wellness at all. In fact, they detract from it. But we're going to be talking about simple habits to transform your life. She wrote an incredible book called Sustainable Health, Simple Habits to Transform Your Life. I'm just going to bring her on right now. This is Susan Roberts. She is an occupational therapist with an incredible background that she's going to share with us. Susan, thanks for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me, Holly. I'm really glad to be with you. Yeah, so I love also that, um, first of all, your book is beautiful. Um, I have it sitting right here, and it's been with me, and I've been piecing through it for the last three weeks. And what um, has been so lovely about it is just how easy it's laid out. And to be honest with you, it is that quote-unquote simple part that makes, I mean, today it seems so complicated. It's everything that's going on with all of the unknown. So it just seems like the perfect tool for people. But beyond the book, because we're going to get into it, um, tell the listeners a little bit about your incredible background. So I, I started working at an Easter Seals camp. That was my first job. Um, as a dishwasher, actually. And I got interested in working with people who had disabilities. And I graduated from Boston University with a degree in occupational therapy. And occupational therapy has been around for about 100 years, a little over 100 years, but not so many people know about it unless they've actually had occupational therapy services because what we do is really help people do those simple kinds of things and that really transform someone's life. So, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal to button your buttons or, you know, be able to, you know, cook a meal or those kinds of things that people do every day. And yet after somebody has had either a physical disability or even a psychiatric disability, sometimes those are the things that are really difficult to do. And what we do in occupational therapy is we look at we look at that. And so I have had the blessing to work with people from infants to octogenarians. I've worked in physical dysfunction. I've taught adaptive driving to people. There's another big uh, occupation that that uh, makes or breaks our lives. Um, and I've done um, you know rehab. I've worked in schools. I've worked primarily with kids with um, all kinds of disabilities, so autism and learning disabilities, as well as um, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, all those kinds of things. So I've I've seen I've been blessed to be have uh, 
have had many, many patients and clients who've taught me a lot about life, and and I hopefully have given back as much as they gave me in all those years. Yeah, well, I'm sure. And so, I mean, it's incredible. And then your Masters of Divinity from Harvard uh, should not be overlooked. But I want to get into you started to hear from these incredible people that you've been working with, and you started to see these similarities, you've said, between almost traditional folk healers and this work you do as an occupational therapist. And by the way, um, I lost my father about, oh gosh, time is flying, but about four or five months ago. And of course, prior to that, he was in a rehab facility and um, his physical therapy and occupational therapy the occupational therapy got him back into independent living, you know, and doing all of those things that you had mentioned and um, and working at it as, a, as an older person and as somebody who was so, sort of deconditioned. Um, and it, it was just an amazing modality um, and an intervention for him. But talk to me about this folk healing and what you saw in your work. So I, um, I became interested in... Um in sort of folk healing on um, indigenous healing when I got to Tucson, Arizona. So I, you know, I trained and grew up on the e- mostly on the East Coast um, uh, educationally. And there was no, at that time, no holistic medicine, no integrative medicine. None of that stuff was being talked about. When I got out West, it was a little more open. And I, um, I had, uh, in Tucson, Arizona, where I lived, lived and worked, uh, they had, um, there are three nations within the city limits, the Ta'ana, Autumn, Yaki, and Pima nations. And they had healers operating there. And also there was a rich tradition of curanderisma that came up from Mexico. They also had healers. And as I began to um, talk to clients and have talk, clients talk to me, and we had actually an in-service of somebody who came in and they're in our therapy department at the Tucson Unified Public School System, um, we had somebody who came in and did it an in-service. And what I realized is that the sensory integration uh, practice that we would, we were beginning to develop, this is in the late 70s, so it was is still a, a fairly new uh, modality. And what I realized they were doing in the rituals that they were doing and the healing activities that they were doing very much... Um, had to um, parallel what happened with sensory integration. They were working with the senses of sight and smell and uh, a lot of, you know, with incense and various kinds of things. And that they were doing that and they were connecting it on a story level, on an emotional level, and really integrating um, the kinds of things that we were talking about integrating um, and approaching more from a science perspective. Um, and not tapping into the story at that time. Tapping, I mean, I think people do it now more, but we were not tapping into the story. We were not tapping into the into the sensory piece, the emotional piece. And once I realized that the indigenous healing traditions did that, I became really interested in, in wanting to learn more about them. And that's ex- what led me to led me to Harvard Divinity School because at least there I could talk about spirituality and not. And I could connect it. And, you know, they had a little bit of trouble with the medical piece, but at least I could explore the spiritual piece of healing without having to constantly say, you know, constantly defend that. 
as a, a modality. So you were you, you, you owned it in and you found it in your work and your heart and your soul and then you decided to go get a credential to actually be able to apply it. So I understand that. That's that's incredible. And it enabled me to teach at the university level too at that time. Now it's a PhD is required for occupational therapy departments. But at that time in the eighties when I graduated, um, uh, having a master's degree, particularly one from Harvard, um, was enabled me to to teach occupational therapy at the academic level. So that was kind of nice benefit. That credential was very helpful. That is great. So let's just jump right into this beautiful book. So sustainable health, right? These simple habits to transform your life. What are you talking about when you say sustainable health? Well, what I'm talking about is that Maintaining health, I mean, most of the indigenous healing traditions were all developed prior to technology, Western technology. Uh, they had technologies, but they weren't, uh, they weren't driven by um, fossil fuels. They weren't driven by electricity. They weren't driven by um, all of the power sources that are causing us so much trouble at this point in the game. Um, but so it was a, an understanding of energy and how it works and being able to use things. So um, when I look at sustainable health, I look at how do we stay healthy um, without all of our technologies, without all of our supplements, without how have people made for 3 million years, how did people maintain health? And because these technologies are relatively new and as we're discovering now, relatively destructive. Um, so, uh, what did people do? So that's what I wanted to look at. Like, how do you, what can you do for free, basically, that will sustain your health over the long term and allow you to heal, to heal? And I think that we live in a culture that says, oh, if you have an ache or a pain, particularly if you are over the age of 30 now, I think probably, but, you know, certainly over 60, oh, yeah, you're going to have knee pain for the rest of your life or shoulder pain for the rest of your life. You know, getting old, you're going to have pain. That's not true, and that has not been true, and I certainly have experienced it in my own life, and understanding that, you know, these, you know, that pain is actually your body signaling to you, and and how do you, how do you change that and transform that? Depression is your body signaling to you also, you know, um, what, you know, what, how do you, um, how do you take a look at that? And, and that's what I do with sustainable health. So simple things that you can do, simple things you can do to change um, the five occupations that I looked at or the five habits within those occupations. Um, so it's playing, which is so important for stress relief, sleeping, which is probably the most important thing for the immune system, uh, eating, which everybody's focused on, but certainly uh, powerful as well. and um, the stuff we practice, work, the things that we do repetitively that we get better at from practice, work, and then loving how those social relationships are also so important for maintaining health. And all of them uh, require, all of the habits in the book re- really require absolutely no financial outlay in order to begin practicing them. You can do them anywhere, anytime with no financial investment, just jump right in. That is brilliant. I mean, I think that is the key for folks these days. Um, And, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, this whole thing about habits, because I think that I think it's a fairly connotated word. I mean, in, in my mind, it is, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I have such a bad habit of or, you know, that's a really bad habit when you sit down and have that, you know, two glasses of wine at night or smoking has been, you know, said it's a habit. Um, 
we we kind of sort of maybe I feel like uh, explain away our behavior because they're quote unquote habits. But I notice in your book that you talk about you know these this, the the design of rituals, and you know when you say a ritual that almost turns habit on its head for me because it sounds so much more robust and so deep and so much more um, meaningful and purposeful than, oh, you know, quote unquote, a habit. Um, talk me about these rituals that help people navigate transitions. And, and, you, and you do it health-wise, right? In occupation, so people's work and also relationships. So what does that, that big word mean? Well, for me, a ritual is, a, it, in a sense, it is, as you say, it's a habit. So there's a series of behaviors that are, in a sense, codified. They may be codified for thousands of years in, you know, sort of religious ritual, which people think of, or they may be um, put together, um, as I did in the book, for an individual experience. So what, but that what they do is they... Um, it's a conversation that we have with what I refer to as the conscious universe. It's a conversation that we have through uh, behaviors that we do and through the senses and then paying attention to them and being mindful of them in a way that um, usually there's an underlying story that we follow as well. And this is true whether you're doing a Navajo sand painting as part of a healing ritual um, there's a story behind that. You don't even need to know all the details of the story. The healer does, and they can bring the attention to that um, as the as the ritual progresses. And what I did in in the book was um, to in order to sort of kick off each of the the habits or practices that I recommended, a chance to tap into the story behind that element. Um, of all the natural elements, which were wood, based in traditional Chinese medicine, um, wood, uh, water, earth, metal, fire, and those were the um, those are the elements that I tapped into, um, and the story behind that, and so that um, you're connecting on a, a conscious level, but even more importantly, you're connecting on a subconscious level. You're bringing in all those parts of our, you know, our integrated whole, uh, the body, mind, and spirit, that bringing them all together through those specific activities, those specific kinds of activities. And that is woven through the book in, in you know, from the beginning, the making the healing compass, and then paying attention to each of the points within the compass as we go through the book. I love it. The book is so, and I have to say again, an, an, another thing about this book, all right, so uh, Sustaining Health, The Simple Habits to Transforming Your Life. It's really nice because it's in larger font. I don't know if that means anything yes. to the, um, the rest of the over maybe 40, 50 folks out there, but um, it's just it's just so beautiful and easy to read. So, And I, I want to tell listeners exactly where they can pick up this incredible tool. Okay. Um it's available. I mean, then the, the large font that would be accrediting to to W. W. Norton, and they are the publisher. And it's available through them. It's also available through Amazon, through Barnes and Noble. Uh, there's an Audible version of it. Uh, Tara Langello is the reader, and she does a fabulous job. 
uh, and it's available on the Kindle platform as well, and the worksheets and the auto, you know, for people who prefer to listen, um, the worksheets are available as PDFs through Audible uh, at Norton. So it is um, available really pretty much any bookstore. Uh, if they don't carry it, they certainly can order it for you, but it's widely available on on the Internet through through Amazon, through Barnes & Noble, indie, indie bookstores. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, we want to support those local indie bookstores for sure. Any local businesses that we can get out and uh, be patrons at, that's just an important piece of living, I think, right now. Um, we do our best anytime we're ordering food or, or yeah. you know, wanting to venture outside in the uh, quarantined world to make sure that our neighborhood is well taken care of. And so that's a, a super, um, we've got a Book Soup, which is an independent bookstore right up here on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's where I try to grab grab my books from if I can. I know it's super easy to click and have it your you know on your doorstep the next yeah. day, but if we can if we can get out there and do the right thing, it's 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 something. Um, we got it. We're gonna get through this all together. So, Susan, I want to talk. I want to talk about your blog because it, it kind of blew me away because you focus a lot on plants and food, two of my favorite things. Oh. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and 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 then this online co- cooking series that you did during the pandemic, and so, you know what? It's it's so funny. I I love to cook. I would not call myself anything than a home cook, um, not a chef, not anything special. Just like learning by watching, learning by tasting, learning by making a lot of mistakes. But during the pandemic and during quarantine, it was one of those things that actually helped contain me. Yeah. You know, thinking about. Um, my ingredients, thinking about what I was going to cook for dinner and not to mention, you know, other food throughout the day. But it was like, it was, you know, some people turned to exercise, which I just, that was it. Like I I just, it helped my mind, I don't know, feel like I had some control over something. But yeah, tell me about your blog. So the blog is um, uh, in in the, uh, on my website, which is SusanLRoberts.com. The blog's available there. And I uh, I decided to do uh, a series, which I'm probably going to revive hopefully in the next week, the Pandemic Kitchen, and it the Auntie Sue's Pandemic Kitchen. So I have a I up here in Maine, I have a, a community of relatives, and they call me Auntie Sue. So that's where the Auntie Sue comes from, Auntie Sue's Pandemic Kitchen. And I wanted, I realized that people were so fearful, and you know, you're, you know, you're we structured this as a uh, as this virus is an invisible enemy which I think is the first mistake that we need to, you know, I mean, this virus is part of nature and, and we need to get in harmony. Um, not, it's not, it's not a war. It's a, it's a symphony, but it's invisible. And, and it, all it does is, is make us panicky and, and anxious. Whereas if we start saying, okay, here's some things that you can do that are absolutely science proven to improve your resilience uh, both physical and through the immune system and and psychological through the you know emotionally through the immune which also boosts the immune system these we know that these will boost your immune system let's work on boosting our immune system because now we have control we can say oh you know if I have a warm soup you know if for my meal at the end of the day you know I'm gonna feel better I'm gonna feel more nourished and my body's not going to be overtaxed with digestion. Um, I'm going to be, 
better able to sleep and and sleep is the and this was a sort of a surprise for me because of my you know the, the focus on nutrition through my study with the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. But what I found was when I started doing research is that the number one thing that you can do for your immune system is sleep. So everything that we do, we need to focus on having that peaceful heart, that being at peace with the world when we when we hit the pillow at night. Uh, and um, a heavy meal doesn't always do a soup, but a, a light soup can. So, you know, how do we make a soup? Um, we talked about not just the food that we eat, but the emotional nourishment that we receive from some of the things that we talked about, like the connecting to the conscious universe and looking at plants and, and seeing plants as, you know, co-beings on, uh, you know, uh, with actually a lot more, if we measure wisdom by longevity, which we do, they've been here a lot longer than us. You know, they have 500 million years to our paltry three as a species, and that's a generous three. Apparently, there are people that think uh, Homo sapiens is actually not quite three million years old. So, huh. yeah, so there, you know, um, that's what I tried to do with the Pandemic Kitchen, and there's a number of uh, shows on there, and I'm going to be bringing it back and, and um, revisiting it in, in some other ways and, and talking to people uh, about um, what they're doing simple kinds of things that people are doing that that are reconnecting them and 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 one of the things that I was just thinking about this morning was uh, because I've been very fortunate both in New York City when I was there before I came here in May in Maine that there are people um, that I can be in close proximity to and still maintain a certain amount of social distance but people within like you know people are now talking about pods so important to have not only the physical touch, which we know is critically important, um, and and that infants will die without it, and probably elderly will die without it as well. The but to be able to do that in a safe way, and to to find a group of people that you can connect to on a on a daily, you know, or or if not a daily basis, but regularly. Uh, in the book, I talk about um, sharing a meal three meals a week, and playing games with people. And I think that, I know it's so been really gratifying for me to hear people talking about doing jigsaw puzzles um, and, and card games and various kinds of games that people play, and that that interaction, I mean, if you have to have it over the Internet through Zoom, at least you're making some kind of a connection. But if you can get within three to six feet of people and do it, you're going to boost your oxytocin. Uh, far more uh, and protect your immune system. So it's a dance that we we need to do, and and uh, I would hope that people could use tools like my book to help them navigate that dance. Because so far, everything I've seen in the media has only been about exposure to an invisible virus that, without an electron microscope, you can't even find it. And that I think just plays on fear, and we know that fear is one of the most you know, damaging things to our our immune system. Yeah, you know, I that was such. I wanted to just keep letting you roll there because I have to tell you, um, it is a uh, it is so important what you're saying. And and folks, once again, before I wrap this up, you can 
know more about Susan L. Roberts at SusanLRoberts.com. And usually I have to spell things out, but I don't have to spell that out. It's just as it sounds. And then there is a sustainable health, um, the community on Facebook, which is great because community you've just talked about. And the one thing I want to do to wrap this up is when you say about the virus, you know, and some of the things and, you know, maybe a virologist or an, an epidemiologist could could argue with me here, but I always say it's the three finger rule, right? So when you point the finger at something else, you got three pointing back at yourself. And I think that's what you're saying with this virus. It's like, yep, we can, you know, this virus, this virus, this virus, we hear about it every day. You know, we can't, you you can own, I I was getting gas yesterday and um, the gentleman came out of the uh, gas station, livid, livid because they wouldn't let him use the bathroom because of the pandemic. And he just went on this, soliloquy yes with his i mean i I would project that it was his wife who was actually filling up the car with gas and this is all bs and i can't believe this and it was just like i mean i'm like i'm just out getting gas and i'm hearing about this but my point is there is three fingers pointing back at you meaning this virus is nothing without a host and we are the host and the more that we can increase our our resilience and our resistance um, as the host, then the better off we're going to be. So I so appreciate your work so much. Your book is beautiful. I hope all of my listeners run out and get it from their independent bookstore nearby. And um, yeah. All right. Mindful listeners, I really appreciate you being here and we're going to see you next time.